Hey, this is Joe Kelly, a writer of Spider-Man Deadpool, and you're listening to Amazing Spider-Talk. Too many who know the angles, uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle Hello and welcome to the Amazing Spider Talk. My name is Dan Gavazdan and I'm the founder and editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And I'm Mark Chinacchio. You didn't get rid of me yet, did you, Dan? I know. We had a big fight last time. I was kind of worried you weren't going to show up this episode, but uh, I'm glad you're here. Are we, did we, have we made peace about annuals? Let's just get on with the show, Dan. And All right. We'll we can talk about this off air. We'll agree to disagree. But I would never, I would never no show a podcast, Dan. Just so you know, I'm not that kind of person. All right. Um, I'm glad. No, our, no, our, no, no, what kind of person I am, Dan? Who? What kind of person are you? I'm the kind of person who uh, is the founder of the Chasing Amazing blog and currently an editor at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. <laughs> that was a clever one, there, Mark. You got one over on me. You bet. Of course, everybody, thank you for joining us for another special Essentials episode of Amazing Spider Talk, our 10th Essentials episode. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we hope to look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. Yeah, and for this episode, we'll be discussing our potential essential Spider-Man comic of the week. This week, we'll be discussing my pick, the Spider-Man Human Torch 5-issue miniseries by Dan Slott and Ty Templeton. And then we'll be going through our, our very brief Flash Thompson's Flash reviews. Yeah, emphasis on very brief. Last week, we uh, read an issue featuring a small fight between Spider-Man and the Human Torch, Mark. So I'm really excited to talk about their biggest series ever. So, Mark, I propose we meet at our special spot for a discussion of Spider-Man and the Human Torch. I guess that's uh, on top of the Statue of Liberty. I was going to think, like, the lavatory in the local watering hole. Oh. Oh, yeah, that was, <laughs> that was a special moment. Anyway, to the review, Dan. Wait, wrong show. So, Mark, Spider-Man, Human Torch by Dan Schlott and Ty Templeton. I got to ask you, why do you feel that this is an essential comic? I really don't, Dan. No, I do. I do. Um, yeah, you know, there's a couple of things. I mean, you know, first of all, in terms of miniseries, I almost I, I feel like this is like the quintessential 
Spider-Man miniseries um, in terms of, or maybe quintessential is the right word. It's definitely the, I think it's the best Spider-Man miniseries. And we, I even said as much uh, when this question was posed to us a few weeks ago or months ago. Um, but in terms of broader things, um, it's the, the, the story is told like as a historic retrospective, which covers all elements of the joint history between um, Spider-Man and human torch as, you know, kind of their portrayal through the years. Uh, and, and, you know, it really is one of the most complex uh, relationships, not only just for Spider-Man, but I feel like all superhero comics, because it's like, you know, we, the, the, fr- the phrase I use a lot when I dis- discuss these two is that they're frenemies, you know, friends who are enemies sometimes. And, and I feel like in terms of comics, you, there, there aren't a lot of frenemies or, or, you know, at least until Johnny and Peter came together, there weren't a lot of them. So, um, the fact that this, this series kind of is this love, love note, um, to this really unique relationship and the creators who, who developed it being Stanley, uh, Steve Ditko and Jack Kirby. Uh, I think it's important. And then, um, kind of, you know, in talking about current Spider-Man, um, you know, Dan Slott is certainly the face of Spider-Man today. And this is the series that really put him on the map as a Spider-Man writer. I mean, like, you know, before this, Dan, Dan would probably integrate Spidey where he could in some of the other books he was working on. Um, but this yeah, there's was kind of, there's that famous She-Hulk issue where Spider-Man shows up. I, I'm not, I'm trying to remember if this is before or after that issue though. Um, it might be, it might be before She-Hulk might've come before this. Um, but this is certainly the first full Spider-Man in the title series that he worked on. And, um, you know, I, I, I think it's also safe to say that, um, because of the quality of this story and his, just how, um, kind of how, how smart he utilized history and, you know, like not, not even just obvious history, but really, really like deep cut history that Dan Slott's known for today. Um, this is probably what gave Slot the job he has today. Um, so, I mean, if you're a modern Spider-Man reader, I think it's essential for you to read this to kind of get a sense of what, what slot was like when he was first starting to work with the character. So, um, that, and and like slot or not, he is, uh, one of the most prolific Spider-Man writers there is. Yeah. I mean, when it's all said and done, you know, I think he's only going to probably trail Bendis in terms of volume of issues, you know, like, and I don't, I can't see him surpassing Bendis because Bendis isn't stopping, but I think it's a, you know, I think he'll probably be, he'll, he'll surpass Stan, right? I mean, has he already surpassed Stan? I think he's rapidly approaching it. I know he's past like the hundred issue mark. Um, so yeah, I don't know. So, all right. So, um, but that's why I think it's essential. Um, but you know, enough about me. I mean, Dan, I know you, you enjoy this series a lot. Um, why don't, why don't you, Start us off with some things that you want to zero in on here. Sure. Well, I think, I mean, like you said, the first thing to really highlight is just how fun of a read this comic is. I mean, it is r- really fun read. Um, one, of, one of the things, though, that, I, uh, that I'm, like, hesitant, uh, uh, you know, about in terms of re- including it on our essentials list, and, and for the record, like, I would probably vote for this to be on the essentials list is – who our audience of our essentials list is going to be. You know, if it's like newcomers to Spider-Man, this could be a great way to kind of get them up to board. But I also think this comic is kind of for the hardest of the hardcore Spider-Man fan because it 
really relies on your knowledge of all of Spidey's canon with like really obscure references. Um, and, uh, you know, you can kind of start to piece together what slot really values in the Spidey story from these books. Um, I mean, how do you feel about all these kind of really obscurities? I know what you're saying, but, but I, but I feel that there's, there's a balance to this because I mean, you know, certainly just strict, you know, talking strictly from the Spider-Man perspective in between these obscurities, you know, he, he hits the notes that, you know, within the, within the frame of a single mini series, let's, the reader know historically everything they need to know about Spider-Man. It's like, oh, okay. So he's, he's, a you know, we, we established in the first issue that, you know, the, the media hates him. Jonah, Jonah hates him, thinks he's a menace. Even when he does right, it, it gets construed that he's wrong and that he's a, you know, he takes photos as Peter Parker, um, to, to make money for, for Aunt May. And that, um, you know, when he gets into older, he has these relationships with, uh, Gwen and MJ and, and, and Harry. And then, you know, we even talk about the death of Gwen, which is like, you know, a seminal moment in comics, uh, in the third issue. And then, I mean, you know, I guess the fourth and fifth start to kind of play more with like knowing the continuity, but like, again, it's, it, it, it does a good job of like establishing all of the key relationships, um, from Spider-Man's past into the present, um, where even if you don't understand the deep cut references, it paints a pretty big picture of who this character is and like all the important stuff that's happened to him over the years. Sure. But even, even just as a retrospective, I think this issue is wonderful. I mean, uh, it, he's sure to cover almost every era of Spider-Man all the way up to, you know, JMS, uh, you know, his run of the book, which I guess was probably happening when the book was written. Yeah. You, know, you get Peter as a, as a teacher, I, I love that about this book, and I think Slot just ever so slightly alters the writing style of each uh, book to be more reflective of the era in which it was written and who the lead writer on the Spider-Man book was at the time. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, the first issue definitely reads like a Dicko Lee issue. The second definitely reads like Romita Lee. Um, the third is kind of like that middle bronze age period. Um, and then, you know, I'm trying to decide if the fourth book with black cat, is that more DeFalco or Stern, but it definitely kind of feels of that era. Right. I mean, you know, yeah, I, I would put it like solidly in the DeFalco, uh, era. I think, you know, using having like black cat and that kind of like goofy swinging stuff. It's not something that I could see Stern writing a story like this. His stories, I think, were a bit more serious than the kind of fun that's had in in that particular issue. Well, especially with Black Cat. I mean, I feel like Stern was, like, really trying to establish the Black Cat as a more tragic character where, you know, I think, like you said, she was a little more frisky and fun under DeFalco. Yeah. Uh, And then Bill Mantlo. You know, I know your favorite Black Cat is Bill Mantlo's Black Cat. Black Cat's uh, mother meets Spider Man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, how lovely to meet you, son. Um, <laughs> but um, you know, and just to the point about the this being a retrospective, I mean, like you know, you you talked about some of these types of series with Christos Gage when he was you know on the show, and you know, I think that Spider Man Human Torch was kind of the first in kind of a run of these minis that Marvel produced that were like. You know, each issue kind of took place in a different point of history. Um, so, I mean, not only is it the first, but it, it, I mean, no disrespect to 
what Gage wrote because I actually liked some. I, I haven't read all the ones that Gage worked on, but I read a couple of them and I thought they were pretty good. But this is this is definitely, I think, the most memorable in terms of um, those kinds of stories. And it, you know, and obviously set this set the template to, for what other creators would go on to do. Yeah, and in terms of like Slot's own voice in this book, I feel like it's the most comfortable of his writing that I've ever read. Like it doesn't – it feels so natural. Like Slot is almost like – we've always said he's kind of like a man displaced in time. Like he just – his writing feels very 60s and 70s. And you know, it, it just – this book breathes and just feels like that's where it belongs, you know, and, and – uh, Gosh, it's just so nice to see that with some beautiful artwork from Ty Templeton. Yeah, I mean, Templeton kind of like mixes the like it's it's a very I feel it's a very modern pencils. Like you wouldn't be mistaking it for Dicko or Ramita, but they're they're still reverential enough to um, to kind of take you back to that era, you know, in 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 their own way. Does that make sense? You know, and and just I I feel like these these stories definitely just play to Slot's strength as a writer, um, which is probably why he comes across so comfortable and natural here. I mean, you know, we talked about last episode, um, kind of how Slot gets tripped up when he has to tell a really long form narrative, and yeah, you know, obviously the common theme of these five issues is it's Spider Man and Human Torch, but. Each story is very self-contained. Um, you know, it's it, it was a beginning, middle, and end, and then the next issue takes off. You know, X number of years in the future, and it's a beginning, middle, and end. And and also like, and this was something that I thought we were going to get when Learning to Crawl came out, and we kind of disappointingly didn't. Um, you know, these these series allow slot to to um be reverential but also it gives him latitude because of you know the fact that these they're taking place in certain continuities but they're original stories so it gives him latitude to do some distinctively slot things there's a lot of distinctively slot things in this I mean, to me, and and you know, again, not to reveal how the sausage is made, but my 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 exact note on on this on this scene is this is this is the most slotsian thing that that slot ever slotted um was the fruit pies with the monkey with with red ghosts uh apes in issue three uh you know that 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 is how um spidey vanquishes the the apes uh he he webs up a, a display of fruit pies and knocks them over and uh, and then the apes go go ape for the fruit pies because fruit pies are great right dan Sure. I'm not only slot would feel the need to provide an origin story for why Spider-Man did fruit pie advertisements. Exactly. I mean, it's just, it's just great. I mean, it's, it's hilarious and it, it pays homage to a kind of a silly part of history <laughs> um, for Marvel. I mean, in terms of the, the, the cross promotion ads, I mean, you know, I, I'm glad I don't know. There's something that's even sillier about fruit pies than like Twinkies or Hostess cakes. So, um, you know, again, I, I, I enjoy it. Um, but, like, but like that is doubled down by the fact that the villain is the Red Ghost. Which yeah. It's probably like the, one of the lamest villains Spider-Man has ever fought. And one of the like least uh, like Spider-Man-y villains he's ever fought. 
Right. And, and, you know, we're also skipping the point that this is all happening while, you know, in an episode, in an issue that's very heavily centered around the Spider-Mobile. Um, this is actually, uh, you know, when in Amazing Spider-Man volume four, number three, you know, Johnny got all upset that Spider-Man had a new tricked out Spider-Mobile that, you know, he worked on by himself. Uh, you know, this issue establishes that Johnny helps with the development of the Spider-Mobile. I don't know if that's in, that was in continuity prior to this, Dan. Am I misremembering? I don't think it was because I think in continuity prior to this, Spider-Man had nothing to do with building the Spider-Mobile. He just kind of allowed it to happen. So right. I think this is kind of like a retcon on Dan Slott's part. Right. Well, at least he continues and references his own retcon then. You know sure, I mean? right. No, nobody's better at referencing themselves. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, it's also worth noting, again, in the same issue with Fruit Pies and the Red Ghost, this very silly villain, um, the same issue, issue three, has, I think, one of one of my favorite moments in a Spider-Man comic, but also, like, just a devastatingly heartbreaking moment where... Um, you know, Johnny's kind of, compl- you know, while they're working on the car, Johnny's complaining about, um, I'm trying, I'm trying to remember which girlfriend it is. Is it Crystal, the inhuman? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, Spider-Man's just kind of like, yeah, well, my girlfriend's dead, referring to Gwen. And, and, you know, like, of course, Johnny's all like, oh man, I'm sorry. And, you know, and, and Spider-Man just kind of says, you know, like, I haven't been able to talk about it because, of who he is under the mask. Like he can't have that, you know, he couldn't talk to Aunt May or MJ at at that point about the guilt he feels over the death of his girlfriend, the responsibility he feels, um, you know, because of the fact that he was Spider-Man and that's why she's dead. But he's allowed to do that in costume with Johnny because he's, you know, he's someone he can relate to and be comfortable with. And, and, and it's like, it kind of helps with the healing process for Spider-Man, you know, and getting over Gwen's death. And, and like that, I don't know, to me, that was just a devastatingly, uh, devastating moment. Um, but a great moment. Um, any thoughts on that, Dan? Yeah. I mean, I, I love that moment, but I think it also is reflective of this story as a whole. The five issues is that while they might be kind of like slices of life stories over this long decade, you really get an emotional, um, arc throughout the whole series. I mean, one of the things I love about this comic is um, how it plays into the fundamental misunderstandings and jealousies that both Johnny and Peter have for each other. Like Johnny once he sees Peter with Aunt May and, and, and says, I never had a, a parental figure like that, you know? And meanwhile, Peter sees Johnny with, you know, people just fawning over him and wants just wants anything to be liked, you know? And both of them just want each other's life. And you get a really nice kind of like emotional uh, climax to that at the very end where they're meeting up on top of the Statue of Liberty in in their spot. And there's also a very funny aside there about why do they choose on top of the Statue of Liberty as their spot, uh, seeing that Spider-Man would have a very difficult time getting out there. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's this, there's a real strong emotional core to this that like, there have been some slot issues here and there that I felt emotionally engaged by. Uh, I'm thinking about like Marla Jameson's death and that whole story arc, but few on the level of, of this particular book. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, 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 he really 
powers the emotion on. I mean, and, and, and I mean, to me, like the last issue, like the last half of it specifically, I mean, it's just all about hitting you in the feels and, 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 uh, you know, you have all these other silly moments kind of leading up to, you know, the series, you know, involving laxatives and fruit pies and, and, you know, mistaken and, you know, like flirtatious black cat and, and, and it's fun and it's silly and it's irreverent. Um, but then you get, like you said, this, this, this very powerful finale where you really kind of like have both of these characters, you know, Peter reveal, Spidey reveals his identity to, to Johnny, which is kind of funny because kind of, you know, Ben Bendis was actually the one who let the cat out of the bat to read Richards in an issue of Daredevil of all places, which was I always found to be odd. Did you get? I'm assuming you read that issue in your Daredevil run, right? No, I, yeah. I actually have not read that issue. Yeah, there's a scene like um, after Matt is outed, um, where like a bunch of heroes show up, and and Peter is actually showing up as Peter. Oh, okay. Uh, yes, I yes, I do remember that. I I guess it was such a minor moment that I I didn't pick up on that. That was that moment. Well, it is very yeah. I mean, that's kind of the joke. It is quite minor, and and but you know, and and meanwhile, in you know, in comparison, you know, this Peter, you know, Spider Man revealing himself to Johnny is is a very you know dramatic moment worthy of kind of a build, and then you know, and, and then he even jokes about it. Well, who else knows? Well. You know, this guy, this person, Reed, Reed knows, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, um, but yeah, I mean, like, as you noted, Dan, I mean, it's like the, the big, the, the real revelation beyond identities is that, you know, these characters have always kind of secretly, you know, not even secretly, they've envied each other and their lives and, you know, how Peter kind of views Johnny as having, you know, and we've, we've heard this be applied to other characters, like he's got the power, but none of the responsibility not that he's irresponsible but he's just never had to have it the way he had sure um and then it, johnny it, sees Par- peter with all this parker luck right uh, which i thought was a funny twist and, and something that i've commented on in the show like if only we could be so lucky as peter to have all these women fawning all over us and and be a brilliant scientist you know right and and you know and and you get these like little like polaroid snapshots of everyone together you know peter is in the you know peter is in the family now and and you know like it all goes back to the very first issue of amazing spider-man of spider-man trying to join the fantastic four and being rejected and and that kind of adding to the character's loneliness um and this this series kind of brings it full circle and and gives peter a place to belong and i and i and i feel like you know and maybe that's part of the reason why I liked the most recent issue of Amazing Spider-Man so much is I feel like um, there's kind of this 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 comfort now when Spider-Man is around the Fantastic Four or one of the members uh, in large part because of what slot put forward here. You know, like we, we, we kind of saw that in the future foundation runs between Dan Slott and Jonathan Hickman as well. Um, you know, he, 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 it feels, it feels right now. Whereas, you know, when, when, Spider-Man first burst onto the scene, it was, you know, it felt wrong. So just, just great work. (laughs) Yeah. Anything else that stands out to you on this, Dan? No, I just, you know, I think when we first started talking on the show, you had mentioned it was one of your favorite stories and I had not read it as seems to be the case for a lot of these. Um, (laughs) You're like finding the exact holes that I have in my, my Spider-Man knowledge. 
and exploiting them for the world to, <laughs> to, to find out about. But uh, I'm glad that I read it. I read it right away when you told me about reading it, and um, it's been a favorite for my of mine for a couple years now. Well, you know, I, I still haven't truly. I, I can tell I still haven't sold you on Thanos and Marvel Two in One Annual, but um, you know, <laughs> no, you have not sold me on that one yet. Um, but um, but this one, yeah, this this was kind of a no brainer, um, and I'm glad I'm glad you I'm glad you read it and that you liked it, Dan. So. Yeah. So, uh, I, readers, if you if you I mean you've listened to us talk about it, but go check it out if you haven't already done so. Uh, so um, speaking of. Things that we like uh, in f- touchy-feely moments. Why don't we uh, talk about Flash Thompson's Flash Reviews? Flash, it's Flash, it's Flash, it's Flash. Gavazden. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I heard you got your butt kicked uh, on the podcast recently. Did not, did not. Uh-huh, yeah, I, I, I heard that you had to put a couple of stakes on your eyes to hide the big black circles around them. Uh, and, you know, and you should you should not mistreat your meat like that. I know that's a problem for you, Dan. But beyond your meat, what I wanted to ask you about was, uh, do, 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 you, do you need some help, Dan, uh, in terms of how to fight? I guess I guess I could use a little bit of help. Because, you know, no one was better in the ring with a pair of boxing gloves than your old pal, Flash Thompson. You know, Flash, I don't know if that's true. I, I heard a rumor that uh, that you got into it the ring with... one time I fought Puny Parker, and I punched him through a wall. I knocked him silly, had the little birdies going around his head, uh, and then the human brain showed up, and I punched him out, too. Uh, you know, I, 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 I don't, I don't know if that's true, Flash. I, I think it happened the other way around. Well, unless you have visual proof that it didn't happen that way, it happened that way. Well, it just so happens my final issue of my collection was that very issue wherein Peter punched your lights out. Hey, look over there. There's a bottle of booze. Gotta go. Bye. All right. He was off in a hurry. Yeah, and a lot of talking about meat made me very uncomfortable. <laughs> you just can't 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 interrupt Flash when he's talking about meats. Best best to let him finish. All right. Um, <laughs> so you know the rules of Flash Thompson's Flash reviews, people. Uh, we got sixty seconds. Uh, we only have one issue this go round, so uh, it's Spider Man twenty ninety nine number two. Um, Dan, shall I start us off this go round? Yeah, sure. Let me put 60 seconds on the clock for Spider-Man 2099, number two. I, I can't believe we're already on the second issue of this. Uh, I, the time just flies. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, but we haven't even started any of the other series, so weird that we're getting two of these. Anyway, Spider-Man 2099, number two. Let's count in in three, two, one.
Well, Dan, based off what I said last time, I definitely was wrong about this new status quo. Peter David and Will Sine take a gamble and kill off a key character, which makes 2099 number two a compelling read for me. Uh, Blinded by Rage, Miguel O'Hara makes total sense and is something I want to read about. Uh, the character has always been far edgier than Peter, and this new direction reflects that. I can understand there being some complaints about fridging the character, yet at the same time, I just don't know if this character was really doing much to advance the narrative and make 2099's world that much more interesting. So uh, in a unique twist, uh, for the first time, for whatever reason, something about Will Sliney's art didn't really click for me. Uh, now I find myself agreeing with you, Dan, some more. I bet you you're going to probably tell me that you really liked Will Sliney's art this time around. So uh, let's find out in a few seconds. But I say fan club certified. Cool, Mark. I'm glad you're uh, coming around on this series. Uh, so why don't you count me in? Yeah, so three, two, one. Gosh, Mark, I really love and continue to love that Peter David is spending so much time on the characters of this book and really fleshing them out. There's not really that much that happens here in terms of, like, villain fights or anything. It's just really a very character-centric story. In this issue, we follow Miguel's quest for revenge after the death of Tempest. And while I don't really care much about the villain in this story, I'm loving all the character interactions and fun gadgetry. Miguel is really standing out as a unique protagonist, especially when he's interacting with Peter Parker and Lila in this issue, who tries to kind of do the Anna Maria digital lover thing. Peter David has proven reliable in the past, so I'm willing to let see where this goes. And uh, for me, Will Sliney's art gets better with each issue, so I'm sorry to disagree with you, Mark. I actually like his art here, and I'm excited to continue following the story. I'm calling it Fan Club Certified. You're just begging for Flash to come back and like give us some boxing lessons here so we can finally settle this. You, you, know yeah. what? you know what, Mark? I'm ready. Let's go. Round two. Annuals. Let's do it. Ding! No, no, no. And and I really don't want to get flashback on the show. He's like he's he's like shadow boxing a bottle of Johnny Walker Green right now. And you know, that's good stuff. They don't even make it anymore. He's gonna like punch that bottle and break it, and I'm gonna be really pissed. So so Flash, come on, knock it off. Put down give him a Pepsi free. I got a one. I'm gonna give him a one two. One two. I stick the jab. I'm going to make you eat thunder and crap light. God, this guy. Anyway, why don't we go home, Dan? I, I mean, by I, go home on the show. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm sorry. I wish you could come to my house and just be with me without Flash. But anyway. Uh, hey, everybody at home. You can find all of our new amazing Spider Talk and old Superior Spider Talk podcasts at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com or find us on iTunes and Stitcher by searching for Amazing Spider Talk. And if you do, please make sure you leave us a rating and a comment to let us know how we're doing, and we'll read it on the air. Again, it's been a while since we've gotten one of those. And if you have any opinions on the comic we talked about today, that Spider-Man Human Torch, or any questions, be sure to email them to us at AmazingSpiderTalk at gmail.com, and we'll read those as well. You sound angry about the comments, Dan. I'm not really angry about it. It's just been a while, and uh, I wonder... You know, have, have are we? Is nobody listening anymore? Oh man! Well, if you're not listening, let us know by uh, <laughs> leaving a comment or email. Yeah, because because then, then we'll just talk to each other on the phone rather than recording this stuff. This is true. Um, there, there might be better uses of our time. Um, <laughs> also, be sure to check out both of our Facebook pages at facebook.com/slash/superiorspiretalk and facebook.com/slash/chasingamazing. Uh, because these are great places to keep up with us in between shows, get boxing lessons, talk about fruit pie recipes, uh, 
mac and cheese bro, uh, which I'm not going to ask you again. Did you see the video, Dan? I did, did see, see the video, video, Mark. I did. Right. I saw right. the video. Okay. All right. Why don't you link to it right now? No, I can't anymore because of Apple. Oh, okay. Gotcha. All right. Anyway, so uh, keep in touch with us on Facebook. So speaking of things you can find on Apple services, if you want to follow the adventures of Spider-Gwen and Miles Morales, of course, I'd always recommend checking out the Ultimate Spin podcast hosted by Brian, Kyle, and Noor. And also, our theme song is courtesy of Ryland Bojack, and our outro song comes from Magic. Speaking of uh, contributing stuff, special thanks again to Nick Cagnetti, Ray Sumzer, Ron Friends, and Sal Buscema for our show's amazing artwork. Amazing. Now, Dan, where can we find you on the interwebs? Well, you can find me on the Twitverse with all the hearts now instead of the stars uh, at, at Sup Spider Talk or at Dan Gavazdin. You could follow those two accounts. You should follow both of those accounts. What about you, Mark? Uh, you can follow me at the Twitverse at Chasing ASM Blog. And of course, you can find me on SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. Where I am trudging through the Howard Mackey and John Byrne run, and uh, I, I I think by the time this episode is released, I'll I'll be reviewing a new series, Dan. I'm gonna be I'm I'm in addition to ASM, I'm now gonna be reviewing Carnage. So uh, go figure. Yeah, I'm really excited about that book. Have you seen the preview art yet? Um, not yet. Uh, although this is coming out after it's released, so uh, yes. <laughs> well, it looked beautiful. I bet it was beautiful. It was. It was. A, it was an. It was a book that I read and had reviews of. So see it here. So Mark, I uh, last week I was watching um, American Pie. It came on cable, and uh, you know I saw that famous pie scene, and I was reminded that I remember you telling me something about your uh, Uncle Ben. Also doing odd things with fruit pies. Oh my goodness! Oh, and 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 uh, Stifler and Stifler's mom and 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 oh man, was that a classic or what? Um, but oh, we're talking about the fruit pies. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I don't know if you know this, but um, my my uncle Ben at one point taught high school physics. No, I didn't uh, know this. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, there was this uh, really interesting uh, lab that he did on thermodynamics. Uh, where he um, heated up fruit pies, and then um, we, 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 we had to take the temperature of each different filling, like there was like blueberry and apple, and you know we had to kind of do some kind of formula to determine uh, why why certain fruit fillings maintain their heat longer than others. So you know what a, what a clever way to learn thermodynamics, right? Yeah. Wait, hold on a second. You were a student in your uncle's class. Yeah, well, he was just my uncle. It's not like my 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 mom or dad was grading me, right? Yeah, I guess that makes sense. That's fine. Although I would imagine there's some conflict of interest there. R- right. Well, but 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 I'm not you know I'm not getting to the good part yet here. Not Dan. to cast so, aspersions on Uncle Ben's professionalism as a teacher. Well, you know, there was a dark day and things changed. So we did this lab, and you know, we had all these. Piping hot fruit pies, and all of a sudden, a, a wave of flesh-eating monkeys ran into the lab, and they started to throw the pies at us. And, and Uncle Ben, I mean, you know, God bless his heart. So he, he dove in front of one of the hot apple pies, and it scalded his face, and then the monkeys came and ate his face, Dan. Um, Did they eat his face off? They ate his face off and the pie. Oh, God. So, you know, I failed the lab. 
because I couldn't do the results anymore. What a and, tragedy. <laughs> truly. And, you know, while my uncle was recovering from reconstructive facial surgery. They can do uh, that? Yeah. I think, well, I think they, they, did, they did that with the woman who had her face eaten off in Connecticut by the monkey. Remember that ah, story? Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, he, he said, let this serve as a reminder with great podcasts must also come amazing spider talk. He he dove in front of me before one of the apple pies hit me, and um, it 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 scalded his face. And then uh, the monkeys came in. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> you know where this is going. Yes. <laughs>